0: On October 7th, 2001, a U.S. Air Force MQ-1 Predator drone flying over Afghanistan fired a missile at a building CIA analysts suspected of housing Taliban leader Mullah Omar. The Predator missed and instead struck a vehicle, killing several of the Mullah's bodyguards. The botched Predator strike was not, contrary to popular opinion, the first time U.S. military and intelligence agencies had sent aerial robots into battle. As early as the Second World War, the military had tinkered with remote-controlled bombers. Drones also played an important, and today largely unheralded, role in the bloody two-decade U.S. Air War over Vietnam and surrounding countries in the 1960s and 70s, Drone aircraft spotted targets from manned U.S. bombers, jammed North Vietnamese radars, and scattered propaganda leaflets, among other missions. The Vietnam-Drone War was waged by a misfit crew of contractors and airmen led by some of the era's most ingenious engineers and managers. And for much of the conflict, they answered to one person, Bob Schwanhauser, the secretive chief of a secret war, with their own secrets to keep. This is Drone, an audio adaptation of Drone War Vietnam, a non-fiction book about the world's first robot war, by me, David Axe, a filmmaker and reporter for Forbes. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Galt, a reporter for Vice and host of the podcast Angry Planet. Part 2. After tinkering for years with reconnaissance drones as a risk-free alternative to manned spy planes, the U.S. Air Force in August 1964 finally ordered its very first drone unit, the 4080th Strategic Reconnaissance Wing, into action supporting the Vietnam War. The drone detachment, a mix of Ryan Aeronautical Contractors and Air Force Airmen, set up shop at Kadena Air Force Base in Okinawa. In the evening, crews would hang two Model 147 Lightning Bug drones on their DC-130 mothership. The next workday started at 4 a.m. Crews conducted a pre-flight check on the drones and their mothership. If a launch order came, it should come between 6 and 8 in the morning. During the pre-flight check, the Ryan aeronautical employees and their Air Force counterparts would load the mission course into the drones programmer. The Air Force's Strategic Air Command provided the course weeks ahead of a planned mission in order to give the detachment time to translate a map plot into a series of timed flight events. The programming involved one team patching into the drone, flipping switches and pressing buttons to program the vehicle's circuits, while a second team checked the work of the first. This two-team method helped to ensure no one input any bad data and doomed the mission. If no order arrived, the crew would stand down the ready drones and begin preparing for the next day and the next window for a first launch. Preparations included painting over the U.S. Air Force markings on the lightning bug's wings with the insignia of the Taiwanese Air Force. The recovery team in Taiwan, in turn, would paint over the Taiwanese markings with American ones. Taiwan and China were already at odds, no? It was less destabilizing for Taiwanese aircraft to overfly China than for American planes to do the same, hence the attempted ruse. However, it was all for naught, as the airmen who were responsible for the paint jobs never sanded down the markings they were about to replace. You can see the shape of it pretty well, reported Bob Schwanhauser, the secretly transgender Ryan Aeronautical Manager in charge of the drone detachment. Not that the markings would help, even if the painters were thorough. Correct. If a drone crashed, it wouldn't take long for any half-informed analyst to determine that it was a fully American-made vehicle. The problem of eliminating all identification was not as simple as you think, explained Lieutenant Colonel Lloyd Ryan, the Pentagon official who was Schwanhauser's counterpart. Sure, the team at Operating Location 8 that is, Okinawa, could pry the manufacturer's plates off the Model 147's fuselage and engine. However, markings would still be on electronic components, cameras, and every kind of equipment, Colonel Ryan pointed out. It was counterproductive to remove those markings during the manufacturing process. After all, the drone's builder and maintainers needed markings to help with assembly and repair. Not that the markings were really the point. Any reputable engineer, here or abroad, can take a piece of equipment and tell you its origins, Colonel Ryan said. It's for that reason that the Air Force didn't require Ryan Aeronautical to install a self-destruct system on the Model 147. An exploded drone would still be, obviously, an American exploded drone. As the 4080th SRW Team at OL 8 waited for the word go. They did so knowing that the enemy and the general public eventually would wise up to their activities. Colonel Ryan was sanguine. If they shoot down one and announce it publicly, don't deny it, but don't acknowledge it, he said. Just reply, no comment, and sweat it out. The order finally came on August 20th, 1964. DC-130-496 took off with B-8 and B-9 on its pylons. B-9 was the primary mission drone. B-8 was the backup in case B-9 malfunctioned. After years of starts and stops, controversy and missed opportunities, America's first truly effective drones were finally going to war. The DC-130 winged toward the Chinese coast. Aboard were blue-suit Air Force drone operators. The Ryan Aeronautical contractors stayed back at Kadena, where they remotely helped to monitor the mission. A few weeks later, the line would blur between the military and civilian members of the drone operation when Ryan Aeronautical employees began flying on the DC-130 motherships themselves. But that first mission quickly ran into a problem. The launch crew aboard the DC-130 counted down to the release point and flipped the switches to launch Lightning Bug B-9. Nothing happened. The drone remained firmly attached to the DC-130. The crew hit the emergency release switch. Still nothing. B-9 refused to budge. The DC-130 looped around for a fresh approach. This time the crew triggered B-8. There surely were sighs of relief aboard the mothership as the drone obediently separated from its pylon. The lightning bug motored away toward China, eventually disappearing from American radar scopes. As the DC-130 angled back toward Okinawa, stubborn drone B-9 suddenly changed its mind. It detached from its wing pylon. Since no one aboard the mothership had ordered the drone to fire its engine, it simply glided 24,000 feet down into the Pacific Ocean. A dive packet marked its final resting place. Now? Everyone waited for B-8 to come home. A few hours later, a blip appeared on the scope of the drone detachment's radar in Taiwan. It was B-8, dutifully navigating back to its pre-programmed recovery site. The drone's high-tech Doppler navigation system obviously worked as advertised. After autonomously flying hundreds of miles at high altitude and near supersonic speed, B-8 was just a few miles off course. The drone popped its parachute. The Model 147 included an impact sensor that was supposed to register impact with the ground and release the chute. But on that first mission, the drone landed in a soggy rice paddy. The parachute failed to disconnect. Wind picked up the chute, flipped B-8 upside down, and dragged it across the wet ground, inflicting major damage. Curious civilians were gathering as an army helicopter speeded in to pick up the drone. A Ryan aeronautical employee hopped aboard DC-130-497 at Kadena and flew to Taiwan to recover B-8. It took several hours of work to pack up and ship off the undeveloped mission film and then load the damaged drone onto the DC-130. Crates containing more drones arrived at OL-8. Nine days after B-8's successful first mission and B-9's tragicomic dive into the sea, SAC ordered the 4080th SRW drone detachment to launch its second mission. The first few weeks of drone ops were a mixed bag. After a successful Riki mission, lightning bug B-11 ignored its signal to land and flew off into the vast expanse over the Pacific Ocean. B-10 went out and came home without a hitch, but B-13 disappeared while on descent toward its landing zone. The lightning bugs too often drifted off their planned courses. It was possible to fix the error, but only with good data. Ryan Aeronautical needed to compare the Air Force's official flight plans against the courses the drones actually followed. That data were classified. One of the things most needed is for us to have more access to information on actual tracks flown versus the intended routes which were programmed, Schwanhauser explained. If SAC at Omaha will let us come in, with some security requirements relaxed, and plot actuals versus the intended, we can do the necessary calibrating. The Lightning Bug's high-con camera still wasn't working perfectly. It didn't matter if a lightning bug performed a flawless mission if its camera couldn't take good pictures. Schwanhauser reported that the film from the mission on September 29th was overexposed. Perhaps the biggest risks, however, were at recovery. Drones were flying reasonably good tracks and taking acceptable pictures, then crashing at the recovery range in Taiwan. We were having as much trouble with recovery as with anything else, Schwanhauser recalled. The birds were flying pretty well and coming home, but then we'd have problems. The lightning bug had a switch that cut the cable to the parachute when it detected water, but the switch was programmed for salt water, so if a drone came down in a freshwater rice paddy, it wouldn't disconnect its chute. The high wind that was common at the Taiwan recovery range would drag the drone across the rough terrain, damaging it. Clearly we had problems, Schwanhauser wrote. The system had not yet been debugged. We knew, of course, that unless literally hundreds of events in a complex series occurred at precisely the correct instant, the missions would fail. But for all their faults, the intelligence the lightning bugs gathered was increasingly useful. They were also proving effective at avoiding enemy defenses. I feel their small radar cross-section is effective against some of the surface-to-air missile site radars, and I doubt if they have the capability to fuse such a weapon against us, Schwanhauser wrote. Similarly, the Lightning Bug's high cruising altitude appeared to prevent enemy fighter aircraft from intercepting the drones, even if the fighter pilots were capable of spotting the tiny drones. Also, no one had died while supporting or operating the unmanned aircraft. It was touch and go in late 1964 as Schwanhauser struggled to make the Lightning Bugs work, and the Air Force mulled canceling the program. Slowly and steadily, the drones' reliability improved. The Air Force, growing increasingly confident in the Model 147, ordered Schwanhauser's to pack up and move to South Vietnam in order to be closer to the action. They settled in on the afternoon of October 8, 1964 three and a half hours later, the Lightning Bug Detachment had loaded two drones on a DC-130 and was ready for any mission SAC might assign. However, the command signaled there would be no missions through the weekend. So on October 10th, the drone detachment threw itself what Schwanhauser described as a little party. Hard drinking was a theme in the Ryan Aeronautical Drone Program, and few drank harder than Schwanhauser. It wasn't just the stress of waging America's first robot war that drove Schwanhauser to the bottle. The lightning bug manager, who secretly identified as a woman, hid a stash of women's clothing that he, she, sometimes wore in private. Schwanhauser's stressful life nearly killed him years before he came out as her. He suffered a heart attack in 1968, and nine years later, nearly died of an overdose of alcohol and lithium. Schwanhauser married and divorced three times before finally transitioning in 2003. During the Vietnam War, Schwanhauser still called himself he and drank and apparently took mood stabilizers to get by. On October 10, 1964, he and his team probably were still drunk when the order to fly the following day came unexpectedly that night. We rousted everyone out, Schwanhauser reported. The detachment struggled through and flew three. Three good missions over the course of a week. Then the usual gremlins got into the system. On October 11th, Model 147B14 flew a perfect mission all the way up to recovery. The drone was 30,000 feet over Da Nang when it received the radio signal from the recovery team. The lightning bug cut its engine and popped its parachute. However, it was raining over the recovery zone. The drone's chute accumulated water and blew right off. Now there's a big muddy hole in the middle of a rice paddy, Schwanhauser informed corporate headquarters. The detachment sent three airmen in an H-37 heavy lift helicopter to recover what they could from the rice paddy. They quickly discovered that Da Nang wasn't Taiwan. Viet Cong guerrillas opened fire on the helicopter. The crew deposited the three airmen into the impact crater, then flew away. Two HU-1 Hueys arrived, at least one of them carrying an Army Special Forces officer. The Viet Cong shot up one of the Hueys and injured the crew chief. The door gunner returned fire. The three Ryan contractors manning the recovery van expected to have to fight their way to the crash site. The fellows then felt they had a fight on their hands for possession of the bird, Schwanhauser reported. Military personnel armed the contractors, among them Dale Weaver. We had been given our AR-15s and instructions on how to use them, and were just getting ready to climb into the chopper. When the word came back that the VC had shot up the H-37 pretty badly, and that both HU-1s had engaged in a hot firefight, Weaver wrote, the base commander decided to send in an army group instead of some crazy civilians. A helicopter pulled everyone out of the recovery zone, temporary leaving the... S- a helicopter pulled everyone out of the recovery zone, temporarily leaving the site to the Viet Cong. The next day, Army copters strafed the site, reportedly killing several VC. The drone detachment returned to the rice paddy and started digging. In part three of Drone, the lightning bug program expands. Hundreds of robots flying thousands of missions and saving dozens of American lives, but the cost to the operators, the secretive, hard-drinking Schwanhauser in particular, is devastating. Drone comes to you from Defiant Productions in Columbia, South Carolina. Follow David Axe on Twitter at D Matthew Galt is on Twitter at MJ Galt. Drone War Vietnam from Pen & Sword Books is available wherever you buy books.